Well, it is the most wonderful time of the year and the most expensive time of the year. Uh, some of you may have already started your Christmas shopping. Anybody out there already done? Raise your hand if you're done. All right, we've got a few overachievers in the room. Uh, very good. Well, uh, this Christmas season, as it's come to be known by everybody in culture, regardless of your religious affiliations or belief, uh, the church has a different name for this season, and it's called Advent. And you saw this morning as the Lyles family came and lit the first candle of the Advent wreath for us. If you're not familiar with what Advent is, I think it's important to understand the Advent season is a period of time uh, that extends... Uh, from the first for four Sundays before Christmas Sunday, and it's those weeks in between, and it's a time where Christians have traditionally set aside to prepare their hearts for the coming of the Christ child. We look back and we remember how the world was wanting and longing for a Savior who was promised to come. And we also remember that Jesus said he would come again. And so the, these four weeks we set aside just as a season of Advent to say we are looking forward to all that God will do and remembering all that he has already already done through Jesus Christ. And we are calling it Advent Conspiracy because as a church, we say we want to reclaim the meaning of the Christmas season. Uh, not by just criticizing other people who celebrate the, the way they want to celebrate, which is their business, but by as a church and as Christians saying, how are we celebrating Christmas? How are we keeping Christ in Christmas? By the way we worship him fully, by the way we look at our money and say, can we spend less in order to give more? Uh, and can we love everyone always? So that's what our conspiracy is all about. But the truth is, we weren't the first ones to come up with an Advent conspiracy. In fact, it was God who began the Advent conspiracy hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years ago, and we are just joining him. The idea behind a conspiracy is people working together. Anybody heard the word collusion lately? It, people working together in order to overthrow a system. And that's what we're doing as part of the Advent conspiracy, but it's what God had been doing all along. See, God looked down and he saw the world the way it was, the way it was uh, controlled by a system of sin, the way sin was breaking relationships, and the way sin was entering into the picture and bringing nothing but death and destruction. And God began a plan, a conspiracy, to overthrow sin and death and the grave forever. And that began with the birth of his son, Jesus. And so today we're beginning a brand new sermon series that I'm calling Alias. And the reason we call this series Alias is because if you look at the definition of alias in the dictionary, what you will find is this, that it is a noun and it is used to indicate that a named person is also known or more familiar under another specified name. Now, if you are going to have a conspiracy, you need a good alias. And the reality is that the Bible uses more than 250 names to refer to Jesus Christ. Now, in the New Testament, you can find names that Jesus called himself. Uh, names like the light of the world. Uh, you can say that when he said, I am the good shepherd. The New Testament is full of names that refer to Jesus, but it's not just the New Testament. The Old Testament is also full of names that God spoke through prophets to give some idea and hint about the coming of this Messiah who would come to save the world. So 700 years before Jesus was born, 700 years before for the story that we all know at Christmas time, the story of mangers and shepherds and angels and, and wise men coming and bringing gifts, 700 years before that, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. 
And he also used four names to refer to this coming Savior. Four aliases. And I want us to look at those four names. This is the only place in the entire Bible where four different names referring to Jesus are used in succession. This passage of scripture that Riley read for us earlier is one of the most studied and debated passages among Jews and Christians alike because both groups, Jews and Christians, recognize that this passage is about the promised Messiah, God's promised Savior who would come to save the world. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at each one of these four aliases and what it teaches us about Jesus. And so, uh, Riley read it for us earlier, but I'd like for us to read it together. It's familiar words. You've probably sung it before, but let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 together. We'll put it on the screen. Let's read it together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what I want to do today is I want to introduce in a broad way these four names and kind of set the table for what I believe they teach us and what they will teach us during this Advent series. And then today specifically, I want to look at that first name, Wonderful Counselor. Now let me remind you, if you're not part of a small group at Southside, our small groups, many of our small groups are also going through a Bible study together about these four names. So we'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 or any of our small groups that meet. But you can also write down any questions you have based on today's conversation and submit it in the offering plate through that communication card that Ron and Lisa told you about earlier. And on Wednesday nights at our midweek service at 6.30, we'll be trying to answer those questions and have a dialogue together about these four names. But let me kind of set the table about these four names. The first two aliases that Isaiah gave us offer us clues about the character of the Messiah himself. So those two names, Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, they give us some idea of what this Savior will be like. This, this, this Savior who God was going to send to save his people from their sin. The second two aliases that Isaiah give offers us a clue about the characteristics of the kingdom that the Messiah was going to come and establish everlasting father, that this kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. It would have no end. And that he would be the prince of peace, that he was going to reign over a kingdom that was a peaceful kingdom. Now, all four of these aliases reveal that this Messiah who was coming wasn't going to be just any ordinary person. He wasn't going to be just like the kings that God had put in place over Israel, although he would be a king. He wasn't just going to be a prophet like all the prophets that God had used to speak to the nation of Israel, although he would be a, a prophet he was going to be something much, much more than that. All four of them tell us that he was going to be fully human and fully divine. Now that's really important because if you're here and you're not a Christian, the celebration of the birth of Jesus is more than just the celebration of another baby that was born. I mean, over the course of 2,000 years, literally millions and millions and millions of children have been born. So why do we celebrate the birth of this one baby? 
because he was no ordinary baby. There was something different about this baby. This baby was, in fact, God in flesh, that God had come to dwell among us. This is why when we're talking about our 30 words for the last couple months, Jesus is what? God with us. That's right. Jesus is God with us. And so these four aliases show us how Jesus would both be fully human and fully divine. Not half of each, but fully human and fully divine. Now, if you're a note taker on your, inside your worship guide this morning, there's a place for you to write this down. We put these notes in there for you so you can look this up later. But look with me at these four names. Wonderful Counselor. We're going to look at this one in a little bit, but wonderful is a name that that describes him as divine. Counselor is a human name. Next week, we'll look at mighty God, mighty, talking about him being human, God, of course, that he's divine. Everlasting, being a divine name, eternal. Everlasting Father, Father being the human nature of him. Prince, being a human term of peace, a divine term. And so all four names tell us about the nature of Jesus, that he would be fully human and fully divine. But that's not all they tell us. All four aliases also offer us a clue about the gift that this Messiah, this Savior, was going to come and bring us. Now you remember from our conversation in 30 Words that Jesus is God with us, come to do four things specifically. Can you remember what they are? Jesus is God with us, come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, and shut down religion. And what you see in these four names is each one give us a clue about the gift Jesus was going to come and bring. Wonderful counselor, that he came to show us God's love that he is mighty God, that he came to save us from sin, that he's the everlasting father. He came to set up God's kingdom and that he's the prince of peace. He came to shut down religion. See, these names are significant in our understanding, not just of the Christmas season, not just something to sing when we sing the Hallelujah Chorus, but of understanding who Jesus is. So we're gonna get into the first name. You guys ready? Anybody know what it is? You guys are still asleep. This is, you're not with me. All right, now you, you've got to be on your game this Advent season, all right? Most churches, you just sing, you just talk about shepherds and wise men, and everybody already knows it, so they check out, they check out mentally during the Advent season when they come to church because they know the story, but not Southside, not you guys. You guys are better than that. We're going to get deep into this, all right? Everybody ready? All right, here we go. The first name, Wonderful Counselor. Now let's look at this name together and just see what is this telling us about Jesus, that he is a wonderful counselor. Now, counselor tells us about the humanity of Jesus. How many of you, how many of you know of or see or regularly interact with any kind of counselor? Now that's a kind of an embarrassing question, but don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed of it. All right. Now, more of you do than just admitted it. Because counselors do all kinds of things. Do you, have, do you have a financial advisor? That's a counselor. Okay? You are here sitting with me today. I am your spiritual counselor. Right. We use counselors all the time. When you go see a lawyer, you are going to get legal counsel. That's right. So the word counsel really means anybody who is going to give you input or advice or directives. Now, we have two mentalities when it comes to counselors. Okay, here's the, here's the first one that we have. We, we go to counselors because we want to feel better. 
Those are some of the counselors that we go to. So, so you go see a counselor, and your hope is that they will make you feel better emotionally or spiritually or mentally, that, that, that they are they're going to uh, give you advice or counsel. But somewhere inside of us, when we go see a counselor, we really are hoping that they just justify what we already want to be true, right? Have you ever had anybody come and ask you for advice, but they really weren't asking you for advice? Anybody? No, don't. Don't nudge the person next to you if it was that person. But like they they come to you for counsel. They want your advice, but the reality is they already know what they're going to do. They're just trying to get you to agree with them. Now, for some of us, that's the kind of counselor we want. We want to go to a counselor who's just going to make us feel better about our decisions, who's just going to tell us everything we already want to hear. And when we do that, that is a cheap facsimile of grace. That we go to them, and and the idea is we want this person to be full of grace and love and peace. And we want them to make us feel better about our situation. But there's another kind of counselor that we don't want to do that. When you go see a lawyer, you do not want the lawyer to tell you what you want to hear. You need and hire the lawyer and probably pay him or her good money not to tell you what you want to hear, but to tell you what you need to hear, right? They are going to tell you things that hopefully are going to keep you out of legal trouble, maybe even keep you out of jail. And you don't see that kind of counselor to make you feel good about yourself. You see that kind of counselor to tell you exactly what you need to hear. You really don't want this person to be full of grace. You want this person to be full of truth. That counselor, please make me feel better. I just need you to make me feel better. Tell me what I want to hear. This counselor, I just need you to tell me what I have to hear. I want nothing but the truth. And so we have these two ideas about a counselor when we think about the, this phrase, this wonderful counselor that Jesus is. And, and now, one of the things you need to know is just because Jesus is a wonderful counselor doesn't mean he's in the same category in class as every other counselor. If you go back with me to Genesis chapter 3, there was a counselor who gave counsel to Adam and Eve when it came to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that counselor counseled Eve, what is it that God said? Did God really say to you that you could not eat from this tree or touch it? And it was bad counsel. The reality is that we don't always get good counsel from people that we talk to, whether it's financial advice, spiritual advice, emotional advice, legal advice. Sometimes we are misled by the counsel that is offered to us. But Jesus isn't just any counselor. Jesus has come to offer us more than just good advice, more than just self-help or to tell us what we want to hear. But he also didn't come just to tell us what is absolutely true and condemn us and judge us and prosecute us and to weaponize the truth. Jesus is more than just a counselor. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. So let's talk about the word wonderful and how that sets Jesus apart from other human counselors. It's interesting, if you were to try to find the word wonderful in the Bible, Old and New Testament, in the original language, Hebrew and also in Greek, the word wonderful is never used in the Bible to refer to any activity or action by human beings. It is only ever used to refer to actions of God. 
And so wonderful tells us that Jesus wasn't just human, but he was also fully God. He doesn't just affirm what we want to hear. He tells us also what we need to hear. He doesn't just tell us what we need to hear and his truth only. He also tells us good news and offers us grace. What makes Jesus a wonderful counselor is that he is full of both. He is full of both grace and truth. Not 50% of one and 50% of the other, but he's 100% grace and 100% truth. See, we're used to people being one or the other, aren't we? Like you're used to people who are either full of grace or full of truth, and you know which one you need to go to when you need to go to them. If you are feeling bad about yourself and you want somebody who justify, who will justify your behavior, you know who you need to go to and who you need to avoid. Matter of fact, most of you, if you grew up in a house with two parents, knew there was a grace parent and there was a truth parent. Now, my wife said Wednesday night in our parent forum that she said, every time you say that, I know that you're talking about us, and I'm the truth parent and you're the grace parent. That's not always true, is it, girls? No, it's not always true. It depends on the subject matter. Because I'm going to tell you right now, when it comes to boys, I am truth and mom is grace. But, but we are not accustomed to people being full of both. We're used to people sort of vacillating between one or the other, or they're either full of one or full of the other, and we, we select who we want to go to to hear what we want to hear. And here's what's true about us. If you're a Christian and you come to church and, and you are, you're normally thinking about Jesus, here's one of the things that's true about the way we think about Jesus. We want Jesus to be full of grace, when we're thinking about our own sins and shortcomings. We want, we want him to just be full of love and grace and mercy. But when I'm thinking about your sin and the way you've wronged me, I want him to be full of truth. You see, I want, I, when I'm in need, I want Jesus to be more like Oprah Winfrey. But when you've done something to me, I want him to be like Judge Judy. And Jesus will not give in to either one because he is full of grace and truth. And here's the other misconception that we sometimes have. And especially if you were raised in, in, in church, in a Christian church, and you, you've read stories and heard stories from the New Testament, you may be tempted to believe that Jesus is the New Testament version of grace to counterbalance God the Father's Old Testament version of truth. But that's not the case. Jesus did not come to be grace to balance out God's truth. In fact, if you will open your Bibles with me to John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18, we see how Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus would be fulfilled in John's account of the birth of Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Let, let, me, let, me, put, let me read it together. We'll put it up on the screen. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, here it comes, full of what? Grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received, listen to this now, we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, this tells us some really important stuff. First of all, it tells us that Jesus is God with us. 
that he came to show us who God is, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But it says actually, literally, that he came and he pitched his tent among us. Now, if we were Jewish in the first century, when we heard that idea of God coming and pitching his tent, we would think back to an Old Testament story of Moses and the tabernacle, which was basically a tent. And it was in this tabernacle where God gave the people the law. It's where the law was kept. And so what we see in the New Testament is that John says, Jesus came and he pitched his tent among us. And the, he was the fulfillment of the law. That he came to fulfill in flesh what had been written on stone before. And it says this, he, by his grace upon grace, it's this idea, the expansive nature of God's grace. That God's grace is, is growing and it's permeating and it's working its way throughout people and it's spreading across throughout the kingdom as God's kingdom is established through Jesus. Grace upon grace is being known, made known to all of us. And we see this lived out in the ministry of Jesus Christ, that he is full of grace and truth. Now I want to give you four specific examples from the Bible. You can look these passages up maybe through the week and read about them if you want to learn more. But let me give you four pictures of how Jesus was perfectly full of grace and truth. The first one is a story that we find in John chapter 4 about a woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman. And she had come in the heat of the day to draw water out of the well by herself, which indicates that she was probably rejected from all the other women in the, in the village. That she was not somebody that any, the other women wanted to be around because that was a communal social occasion. The women would all go to the well and draw the water together. But this woman was there by herself and Jesus met her. And so they have this great theological conversation that begins to turn into a debate. And Jesus cuts to the point as he reveals himself full of truth and says, the truth is that you have been married multiple times, and you're now living with someone who is not your husband. Ouch. Not quite the introduction you'd want to have if you're trying to win friends and influence people, right? I mean, that's the cold, hard truth. This woman was a serial adulterer, or at least a serial divorcee, one or the other. We don't know. We don't know her backstory. But she was somebody that everybody else in the, in the community had sort of stayed away from. And Jesus is talking to her, which is also already a, a radical enough decision. But as he's speaking to her, he points out the truth of her situation. But then, then he invites her to have living water. He, he offers her Grace upon grace upon grace. As he says, yes, God sees you exactly how you are. You, don't, you can't hide from God. You can't hide what you've done from him. But God's grace is sufficient for you in your time of need. So she goes back to her village and she brings the whole town back to hear this man who, quote, told me everything I ever did. And yet she wasn't ashamed. She proclaimed it loudly. Why? Because Jesus was full of grace and truth. Let me give you another example. This is a story from Matthew chapter 9. It's the story of Matthew himself, the tax collector. Matthew was a Jew, which meant that when the Romans came in and took over this region, they began to impose their own laws and collect their taxes. 
But they were pretty smart about the way they would do it. They would try to recruit nationals to be the tax collectors. Now, if you were a Jew and you had been recruited and accepted the job as a tax collector, you would have been hated by everybody in the country. Everybody in the village would have hated you. First of all, because normally tax collectors cheated the people they were collecting their taxes from. So Matthew was not a popular person. And yet Jesus, walking with his disciples, walks by Matthew at the tax collector's booth and says, you, come, follow me. Meanwhile, all the other disciples who follow Jesus are standing there watching this happen. And I'm sure they're looking at each other thinking, Jesus, do you know who he is? Do you know what he does? Are we now going to say that Rome's taxes are fair and just? Are you endorsing this behavior because you're welcoming this sinner, this tax collector, into our group? But Jesus Jesus resisted the temptation to reject Matthew because of his sin. Instead, by his grace, he recognized the truth of Matthew's situation and still welcomed Matthew in, not just to be one of his followers, but to be one of his main disciples, one of the 12 apostles. And we have a book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, that Matthew wrote about the life of Jesus because Jesus wasn't just full of truth to look at Matthew and say, you're a sinner, you can't be a part of this. No, Jesus was full of grace and truth. He said, Matthew, leave your tax booth and follow me. Grace and truth. Another story that demonstrates this, we can find in comparing two characters. One is the character that we see at the very end of Jesus' life in Luke chapter 23. It's a thief on the cross. Jesus was crucified between two criminals, and both criminals are there, and they're having a conversation um, with Jesus and with each other during the crucifixion. One is mocking Jesus, and the other, the other speaks to the, to the first criminal and says, you, you better stop talking about him that way. Do, do you not know who this is? And, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? Now, this guy has been a criminal his whole life. He has not done anything for the temple or the church. He's not done anything for the kingdom. He has lived his whole life for himself, a sinner, a thief, a murderer. We don't know what his crimes were. And Jesus says to him in that moment, surely today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I ask you, you good religious folk who come to church all the time, who do your very best to follow God's rules, is that fair? I'm serious, is it fair? Come on, yes or no, is it fair? You don't know how to answer. It's not fair. It's not fair at all. Because if you compare it to another story, a story, an interaction that Jesus had with another fella, uh, another guy who was uh, referred to as the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. This guy says, I did everything according to the law. I've always paid my tithe. I've never cheated. I've never told a lie, which was probably a lie. (laughs) I've done everything the law has commanded. And Jesus said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the scripture says that this rich young ruler went away sad. Now, now, just think about this for a second. How is it fair that the criminal on the cross who never did anything throughout his life to be able to justify his entrance into God's kingdom, Jesus says, come on, come be a part. Today, you'll be a part. But on the other hand, this religious man who had done everything right according to the law is, it goes away and he's sad. 
How is that possible? Because Jesus is full of grace and truth. That's exactly right. That Jesus isn't half of one or half of the other. He is fully 100% grace and truth. And finally, another story, John chapter 8. Familiar story, a woman caught in adultery. And you see, you've probably heard this story before, but the, the Pharisees are looking for a way to trick Jesus. And isn't it interesting? They knew right where to find this woman. Think about that for a little bit. So they find this woman and they bring her out by herself. She committed adultery all by herself. She bring, they bring her out. She's naked. They cast her down before Jesus. And they say, the law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus starts drawing in the sand. And he says, let the one among you who is without sin cast the first stone. That's grace. One by one, everybody walks away. Jesus says to the woman, Go and what? Sin no more. See, there's the truth. He, he didn't just wrap her up in God's grace and say, it'll be okay. Those religious people were so mean to you. No, 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 no. No, he, he wrapped her in grace and then he told her the truth she needed to hear. Go and sin no more. You see, here's what we do. In an effort to defend the truth, we will often abandon grace. I'm talking primarily to those of us who are religious people, Christians. If you go to church regularly, well, we have a bent towards truth, to defend the truth of God. But many times what happens is we end up abandoning grace. And so a divorced man feels like he can get more support from other people sitting around a bar than he can from a men's small group at church. A pregnant teenager is shunned from Christians and churchgoers because she's made to feel ashamed rather than welcomed in with grace. And many times those are the very girls who choose to have an abortion rather than face the shame and the ridicule that they may get from their Christian friends. A gay teenager can only find condemnation and shame from believers and ridicule. And so, in an effort to defend the truth, we completely abandon grace. But the alternative is also true. Sometimes in an effort to show grace, we completely abandon truth. So we don't want to risk offending anybody who's ever been divorced, so we never say that God hates divorce. Notice that he doesn't hate divorced people, but he does hate divorce. And those of you who've been through it know why he hates it, because of the pain it inflicts on those who are subjected to it. But in an effort to try to just be full of grace, we may abandon the truth and not talk about the, the way that divorce doesn't just damage the people who are affected by it in the marriage, but the children and future generations. In an effort to preserve grace and in, in our effort to abandon truth, we don't want to risk hurting those people who suffered the devastating effects of abortion. So we, we fail to champion the unborn and talk about it. Or maybe we shy away from awkward conversations about human sexuality, about gender, about unhealthy relationships, because we don't want to be perceived as judgmental. You see, Jesus is the wonderful counselor because he is full of grace and truth. He never sacrificed one for the other. He never sacrificed grace for truth and only told people what they needed to hear. But he also never sacrificed truth by only telling people what they wanted to hear. And, and listen, when you begin to live this out in your life, this is messy. And, and we don't always do it well, do we? The church hasn't always done it well. I haven't always done it well with my own family. I'm sure you haven't either. 
I mean, you raise kids and, and you see the tension. You feel the tension between grace and truth as you seek to demonstrate grace to your kids, but you also know that they need to understand the truth. But Jesus is our wonderful counselor. And I think we can learn two important things about the way he managed grace and truth. He always called sin, sin, always. Jesus was never afraid to point out sin when he saw it and call it sin. But he always expanded God's grace beyond what was comfortable, especially for religious people. He always pointed it out, that's sin, turn away from that life of sin, but he also always extended God's grace, sometimes even to the point that the people around him would criticize him or ridicule him for what he was doing. You see, we, we've got to be careful, church, not to try to resolve the tension that exists between grace and truth. And the reason we can't resolve it is because sin has real consequences, Many of us in the room would admit the way that we have suffered the consequences of our own sin. And so when we fail to point out sin and its negative consequences, we aren't doing anybody any favors. We've got to be careful to do both, to talk about it the way it is. And we, this isn't about controlling people or trying to use the Scripture as a weapon to, to abuse them or to beat them. No, it's really about liberating people from the bondage of sin so they can experience the fullness of God's grace. But also we have to recognize that grace is the only way that we can be reconnected to a holy God. There is nothing we can ever do to warrant God's grace in our life. There's nothing we can do on our own behavior to deserve it. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's a free gift. And so we receive it from him as a gift. Grace is the way we reconnect to holy God. This is why Jesus is full of grace and truth. And John said that this grace that we received, grace upon grace, this ever-expanding grace as we experience it, overwhelms us. See, the truth is my sin is worse than I think it is. That's the truth. And let me give you a little truth. Your sin is worse than you think it is too. And even the sin that you think isn't affecting anybody else, it's your private life. Let me tell you, I can assure you that even that sin has negative consequences, not just on you, but on the people who love you and care about you. My sin is worse than I think it is, but here's grace. God's loving kindness is better than I can ever imagine. My sin is worse than I think it is, and God's loving kindness is better than I can imagine. So let me ask you, as we bring this to a close and prepare to sing another song. What, what do we learn? What do we learn from the name Wonderful Counselor? Well, first of all, I think we learn that Jesus came to show us the fullness of God's love. And the fullness of God's love isn't just about grace, but it's also truth. Jesus t tells us God's truth because he loves us. And he shows us God's grace because he loves us. And I think this is what motivates us to worship fully this Advent season. That we worship him because he is God's demonstration of grace and truth. And if the church is going to be God's instrument in the world, we must be full of grace and truth. If we let go of either one, we will not reflect the fullness of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. We have to work, church, as individuals and as a group of people to demonstrate the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Now, let me make it more personal than that. 
What dilemma are you facing right now in your life? For some of you, maybe it's a relationship, and it's somebody that you're going to have to face during the holiday season. How can Jesus reveal himself as your wonderful counselor? Are you avoiding God's truth? Is there something, now I'm not talking about what you're, the way your mom has criticized you or the way your dad has passed judgment on you or the way your friends have talked about you behind your back. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about in your heart of hearts. Come on, let's be real. In your heart of hearts, is there some sin that you know, you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is something in your life that is bondage for you, that is disruptive of relationships for you, There is something inside of your life right now. It could be a prejudice, a thought. It could be an action that you're taking. It could be something that you're regularly watching on the internet. It could be, I don't know what it is. But is there something in your life right now that you know God's truth would point out to you? That's sin. Come away from it and sin no more. Is there a sin that you're trying to justify? Because Jesus won't be your counselor who just tries to make you feel better about the sin you're already engaging in. He is a wonderful counselor, and he loves you too much not to give you the truth along with the grace. But for others of you, have you underestimated God's grace? Are you living with so much shame and guilt over past mistakes that you just can't fully believe what God has done for you in Jesus Christ? That Jesus is full of truth, yes, but he is also full of God's grace. I want to challenge you this Advent season to think about Jesus as your wonderful counselor. Invite him to inspect the depths of your heart, just like Dee read for us earlier from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. And invite the one who is full of grace and truth to point those things out to you and then receive his grace. Maybe it's in a relationship with somebody that you're going to see this holiday season. And you need to demonstrate the grace and the truth of Jesus. Maybe in the relationship you've been all truth with very little grace. And maybe this Christmas you would just extend more grace to try to show this person who Jesus is. Maybe it's a relationship where you've been all grace, but you know in your heart of hearts that if you're going to love this person well, you have to. You have to say the hard thing and share truth. What is it? How can Jesus reveal himself to you as a wonderful counselor? I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. The worship team is going to come back up. I'm going to remind you on your communication card, there's a place for you to respond on that card. If you would like to talk with one of the ministers on staff at Southside, or maybe there's a decision that you would like to make about following Jesus or being baptized, we're going to have an invitation here in just a moment. And you're going to be invited to receive the wonderful counselor as your wonderful counselor, to receive his grace and his truth in your life. But maybe you don't want to come forward. Maybe you don't want to pray at these altars. Use that communication card. Turn it in. Maybe you have a question about what we talked about today. You can submit that, and on Wednesday night in our midweek service, we'll try to answer it there as well. But this time is for the Holy Spirit to do a work of counseling inside of our hearts. So will you stand together as we pray and as we sing this song? Father, we thank you today for your grace and your truth as revealed through Jesus Christ. Lord, it's, um, it's a difficult thing for us to comprehend. Lord, not to just try to balance them all the time, but to be full of both of them all the time. And we 
confess, I openly confess, I, I fail at that miserably. And I lean one way or I lean the other and I vacillate back and forth and I thank you that you never alter and never change, that you are always full of grace and truth, that you showed us that in Jesus, our wonderful counselor. And today, Lord, there are people here who need the wonderful counselor, people who need, who need the truth of your love in their life and to be freed from bondage, people who need the, the truth of your ever-expanding grace that they've been forgiven and welcomed in, not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. Lord, today, may we receive Jesus as our wonderful counselor. For I pray this in his name, the name that is above every name, our wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ.